Um, yeah, thanks so much for having us. It's been a blast last night with a few guys at, at TK's house. Uh, I, I just looked around the room. I thought, wow, if this is, if this is what, what God has coming into this church, this church is in for something incredible, yeah. an incredible ride. And, uh, the last few uh, team, time, uh, team guys that we brought into our church has been TK and uh, Ken Grenfell. And, uh, you know, TK praising the spirit like a, you know, like something, a sumo wrestler or something is going to happen. And I'm like, wow, that's, that, that's something else. And Ken Grenfell comes and he teaches on deliverance and he, people are all, all over the place. So I'm gonna, we'll, we'll see if maybe that happens tomorrow. Today I wanted to get um, a little bit more uh, putting our thinking caps on about how do we administrate uh, responsibly as leaders the things that God wants to do in this church right so as God keeps bringing people in people get saved people get added to the church there is an administration that is required especially when you move from a church of 10 people to 50 people to 100 people to 200 people and whatever wherever else God has you there's an administration that is required for us to shepherd in a way what God wants to do in your church and I know we don't talk a lot about administration and structures and systems, but I'm going to try and make it fun today. Is that okay? Any people here with administrative giftings, spiritual giftings? Literally nobody? Oh, there must be some. Come on. All right. But there's probably a lot more. It's not, it's not the, you know, the, the, the special fancy gift like the prophecy and all of that kind of stuff, but it is as valuable to the church, sometimes if not more. If we can't find a way to help people assimilate into our churches and into community, people fall off the wayside. People fall to the left and to the right. And I believe God wants to do something here because from what our conversations with TK, I know you're constantly getting visitors come in and out of your church, right? And what does he want to do with those people through this local church? Amen? All right, so a little bit about ourselves. TK said a little bit. Uh, Kathy and I are actually South African. We moved to the U.S. in uh, 2001, and uh, we, we learned about NCMI after we moved to America. So we did not come with the NCMI train into the States. We just felt God called us here and had a good job offer in Chicago. And then we joined uh, Stephen Terry, uh, Stephen Terry, Stephen Debbie, uh, or Stephen Terry. I mean, I feel like it's a one and the same thing sometimes. Um, as Tika said, seven years ago, eight years ago, actually, I got a, a job offer from a, a bank called Huntington. And it was a, a bank that was, if any of you know banking, was a $62 billion bank. They were like top 25 banks in the country. And they, they offered me a position, and I absolutely said no. Like, there's no chance I'm moving to Columbus, Ohio. I didn't even know where Ohio was. I looked in the map and looked at Iowa, and I'm like, where's Columbus? You know, I, I had no idea. But God has spoken so clearly to us through like a, a month-long process of interviews and really praying about, thinking about it, prophetic people giving us this insight that we had to go, and it made zero sense to me. I didn't know of the church there. I didn't know what God had for us there. But I did know that God sent us there. And um, as we moved, uh, six, seven months, we were looking for a church. We'd try every church for two or three weeks. You know, you've got to give them a, a try a little bit. Sometimes the first weirdness is just like a Sunday. Because, uh, you know, we can all be weird on particular Sundays. 
And, uh, and we saw a bunch of churches that were really good. There's some really good and strong churches in Columbus, but nothing connected with us like this is where God is calling us. We went to the Equip, and, and as we were there in um, 2014, we both felt God tell us, you need to start a church. So we did take Tika and Sandy out for lunch and said, please talk us out of this. And uh, I, I'll quote, he says, how hard can it be? I mean, go for it, you know. Um, but he put, his, he, put his, uh, he put his feet where his mouth was. He said, I will come no matter how many people there are. I'll come and help you guys build and support and, and see what you're doing. And two months later, TK and Sandy were there. Uh, for the first one, it was like January 2015. We'd only just started. And God started doing something while I had this executive job, 50, 60 hours at the bank, really, really involved but this, this church started like growing, and it was so, so fun. So, so fun. We had the first nine months, we would have a church in our, in our um, living room, uh, and it grew to like 45 people just in our living room. And we would have lunch every single Sunday, and through that, established the value of community. You know? And that just kept, kept going. So um, fast forward about a year, year and a half, two years, we started getting to 100 people. I'm like, all right, God, surely now you want me to, to you know, leave the bank and so I can go full-time because, I mean, that, that's the ultimate, isn't it? You know, Full-time ministry, that is the ultimate. Uh, and at least that's where my mind was. And God said, no. And I'm like, really? Like, no. I'm like, well, let's try. A year later, we're a little bit bigger. God, is now the time? No. Year four, no. Year five, no. Year six, no. I'm like, what on earth is going on? The church is growing. My, my job is growing. In just the seven years there, we had bought so many banks, we were triple the size in seven years when I left. Wow. Then when I started, now we're in the top 10 uh, bank there. And it was like, it was so fun to, to go through that process. But it was really difficult. And here's the question I had to ask myself frequently is, if God told us to leave the church, and God has not told me to leave the bank, how do you do those two things together? Yeah. And I'm like, impossible is not the answer if God called us to do both. Yeah. So we've got to figure it out. Yeah. What, what on earth does God say? How, how should we structure our lives? How should we structure the church? How we sh should we structure the church activities? Because I know it was not God's heart for Kathy and I to die or in the process. You know, to, to lose our marriage, to lose our kids in the process. We wanted our kids along with us. We wanted our marriage to thrive. We wanted the church to thrive. And I wanted to be a faithful witness at the bank. Like, that feels like a lot, right? And then I threw a few marathons in there as well, just because I was crazy. But uh, you've got to ask yourself, if God has asked you to do something and you're like, I don't know how then no is not the answer. It's let me figure out how. Yeah. Right? Let me ask the Lord how. What is the things that I have deemed to be super important that I absolutely cannot do without that is coming in the way of the call of God because I think these things are major when God thinks these things are major. Does that make sense? So we have to keep asking ourselves, what do we say no to? What do we say yes to? To be able to fulfill the things that God has called us to do. One of the things that we learn in the process is... Uh, Everyone's going to love this word. I know. So I'm going to get an immediate amen and, oh, that's so good. Uh, here's the word. Discipline. Yeah. Look at that. You guys are all real excited about that. I can tell. This is a disciplined group right here. Man, I tell you, the word, the word discipline was something that came into our vocabulary and our rhythms of life. That without that, 
we would have died in the process. Without that, we would have lost our, our joy and the fun in our marriage and the, the ability to parent, you know, bring our kids along with us. And so I want to look a little bit today, as I said, it's going to be a fairly practical couple of sessions here this morning. If, if God is, not if, God has called this church to grow. I believe this with all my heart. It's called this church to grow. How are you going to prepare yourself as a church and yourself as individuals to facilitate what God wants to do here in you and through you? That's kind of the question. How? How will we do that? How will we best uh, shepherd, resource, steward? Steward is the right word. Steward the resources we have. And, and your biggest resource, by the way, is your energy. Your biggest resource is your spiritual health. Like you are the biggest resource in this church. How are you going to steward yourself well to be able to organize also the church well so that the people that God brings in here won't just be added as kind of seat warmers on a Sunday morning, but they'll be able to come in and be discipled, be growing in the Lord, and then become disciple makers as part of this local community. Amen? So, let me ask you this question. I'm going to ask a lot of questions. I'm a question asker, and then you can figure it out on yourself, right? Uh, here's a question. If God were to add 100 people to your church in the next three months, how would you handle it? Could you handle it? Could you handle it well? Would you be able to say, hand on heart, 100 people have come into our church and we have helped them get connected. We've helped them find a connect group. We've helped them figure out where to serve and where their place is and figure out their giftings. Would you be able to handle that? Just 100 people, practically speaking, in this church. How would that work? Now, you're a bunch of faithful people. I can just see it all over your eyes. And you're like, yeah, absolutely we can do it. We, you know, that'll be amazing. But I want to ask you, just honestly ask yourself, what would it look like if a hundred people over the next few months came in? Have you thought through how do we bring those from car park to active participant in the church? What is the process? What does it look like for that person to move along? What about 200? What about, I mean, just 200 people. How many million people are in, in a greater Denver area? Three million. Two hundred people is a fraction of a fraction of a percentage. It's not even a big number, but we pray for revival all the time, don't we? I pray for revival. I pray for my neighborhood. I pray for our kids' schools. I pray for OSU. The Ohio State, anybody? The Ohio State University. Come on. I pray. There's 60,000 students there. I'm like, God, give us 1% of that college. And, and I'm like, yeah, awesome. Great, big, faithful prayers. What if... God gives them to you. What are we going to do with them? How are we going to have... We don't have enough life groups for them. We call our connect groups life groups. Uh, we don't have enough connect groups for them. We, I, I don't know how to effectively disciple. Suddenly a, a hundred people come in. And like, what if they come in? And I've seen, this is like one of the, the, the negative things I've seen of the, the super busyness we've had. People have gotten saved in our church throughout the years. And we weren't good at... Helping them grow in the Lord, find a place, someone to sit with them one on one, deal with big issues. And I want us to ask this question to ourselves if God were to answer your prayers, how are you going to steward it? Amen? I have a few answers. I think we can talk through that. 
We've been praying about this, and, and this question we've asked ourselves for the last year and a half to two years, and I, and I will say, as we've been coming out of COVID, people have emerged. I, our church, just like I think your church and many churches around the country, on average, I, my pastor friend said 30 to 40 percent of the church kind of disappeared when COVID hit. And so a lot of people have just been rebuilding. So as things are coming out of the COVID season, out of that slumber that we've all been put into, what does it look like for God to answer these prayers? And so we've been asking this question, okay, if that happens, how will we do it? And we've looked at every single part of our church to see what can we put in place to be able to uh, find a home for each person. And I just, I praise God over the last year, nine, nine to 12 months, We've always had 150 people join the church as active, regular participants. Our life groups have more than doubled. All these things have happened, not because we're necessarily getting more visitors than we used to, but because we've, we've figured out a way to help those people assimilate into the church, find their way into the church, and then find a home and find a place where they can have real, meaningful encounters with the Lord which is our, our mission and our vision, like helping people have encounters with Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right, so uh, I literally have gone all over my notes already. So we're going we're gonna to have fun here this morning. But we, we have definitely, through trial and error, I, we do not come as experts. Seven years in, we've been learning a lot, asking a lot of questions from different pastors, different leaders, reading books, trying to figure out how do we do this? What is there that we don't know about how we can facilitate this? And what does Scripture actually tell us? So I want to do this this morning. I want to start with Scripture. See, what does the Bible actually talk about in terms of systems, structures, organization? Right? I know we're a spiritual church. Amen? Amen? Yes. Is it okay for me to use the word organization in a spiritual church? Okay, I want a few more amens. Uh, hopefully by the end we'll, we'll be there together. I want to look at what does the Bible say, what clues does the Bible give us about organizing the things that God is doing? Then I want to look at what systems, uh, and, and I'm not going to get into like an actual practical, but I want to ask you a lot of questions. The areas, this, this is a group of leaders here, or, or guys who are stepping into leadership in the church. You're, you've got influence in the church. In the areas where God has placed you, what can your questions can you ask yourself? What discussions can you have with other people serving with you to be able to think through this whole system idea, this facilitating what God is doing idea? And then I want to finish on um, how do we personally prepare ourselves for more? How do we prepare ourselves for, for taking on more, for stepping into more, for moving into more? So that's a bit of a roadmap where we're going this morning, and we will have a break in the middle of that. Amen? Okay, good. So I, I want to start with Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Um, I'm going to read a, read a few different portions, three or four different portions uh, throughout the Bible where the, the, the idea of numbers and systems and organizing comes in place. And I want you to, to pull from this what would be applicable for, for Redemption City. Yeah, Acts 6 verse 1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve, the twelve apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should get up, give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit of, yes. and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Yes. 
uh, <laughs> we just stop there for a minute. You have a scene here where the church was growing numerically. You see, in early Acts, sometimes it was, thousands were being added to their numbers. They had the same question. What on earth do we do with these people? How do we administrate what's going on? They obviously wanted to keep first things first. Our primary responsibility here is to continue to preach the gospel so that all may hear and all may believe. Right? That is, we've got to continue to preach the gospel, preach the word, and teach the word. So anything I'm saying here today... Seek the kingdom first has to be first, right? We have to keep the word of God, preaching Jesus, preaching all the things of God first. Absolutely, right? So let's take that out of the picture. Absolutely, it's a given. It is the main thing our, our, our churches are called to. Amen. But thousands of people coming in. So what do we do? Because I'm getting distracted. I'm unable to do the primary thing that God is calling you to do. So they start talking about some sort of leadership structure. Pick from yourself seven people, people who are full of the Holy Spirit, of good repute. There, there's a, a character trait and a spiritual gifting that was picked so that some of what God was doing by these people coming could be administered. Okay? Let's go to the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 18 and verse 13. Exodus chapter 18 and verse 13. This is a scene where Moses was judging uh, in the people of God, they was judging for matters of law and different things going on. And his father-in-law, named Jethro, uh, came to visit him to kind of check out what was going on. Yeah. And clearly, there was a lot happening. The nation was growing. A lot of people were coming. There were a lot of disputes, a lot of issues going on. So Exodus 18 verse 13, let me read this here. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Well, because the people came to me and inquired to inquire of God. And so when they have a dispute, they come to me and decide between one person and another. And I make known to them the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people will certainly wear yourselves out. For the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. This is a group of leaders. Anyone felt worn out before in leading? Any, know, any pastors, any church leaders who have become completely worn out? Anyone? That's me. I'm like, 2019, I like literally almost died. Like, I don't know how to do this, you know. Um, and uh, so we have the same scene here. This guy's doing a good thing. He is basically teaching them the word of God. He's teaching them the law and the statutes of God. But because of how he was administrating it, he was not going to survive. He was not going to make it. He was going to be worn out. And the people are going to be worn out sitting there all day long trying to get uh, an audience with Moses. So what Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, his name is Jethro, what he puts in place, actually there are leadership coaches and leadership books today that actually talk about the Jethro principle. Okay, The advice that Jethro gave him was basically this. Jethro, Jethro everybody say Jethro. Okay, told him to train people. Number one, train people. So in other words, give people the tools, the vision, the know-how, the reasons, the, the details of how to do what you do. So I say train people. Number two, appoint honest and trustworthy leaders 
And let me just elaborate on that. It means to give them appropriate authority. Good. Empower them. Equip them. Allow them to do what you've trained them to do. Yeah, it's one thing to say to someone, hey, I need you to do X, Y, and Z because I normally do this. But you give them no authority. You give them no ability to actually make decisions. If they have to run to you on every single decision, you have not empowered people. You have not equipped people. And the end result is going to be the same thing. You're still going to be burned out at the end of the day because you're still making every single decision. Make sense? So, told them to train people, to appoint honest and trustworthy leaders. And then he said, handle the very difficult cases yourself. So, in other words, you're still involved. You still stay involved. You're still there. You're still overseeing. You're still governing in a sense. You're not just like abdicating responsibility. Because yeah. abdicating responsibility, you're still going to get to a situation where those people are going to get burned out. Mm -hmm. And the unity in the group and the team and the church that you're trying to build is not going to last. Yeah. There is a leadership responsibility that we continue to have as we empower people to do other things. Deuteronomy 1 verse 12, Moses kind of, he, he goes back to what happened in Exodus and he explains it in a different way. So he relays what happened. He says, how can I bear the burden myself and the weight and burden of you and your strife? Verse 15, he says, so I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, and I set them as heads over you, commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, commanders of fifties. Commanders of tens and officers. Yeah. He put a leadership structure in place throughout your tribes. And then I charged your judges at that time. Hear the cases between your brothers and judge righteously between a man and his brother or an alien who is with him. You shall not be partial in judgment. You shall hear. Listen to the details of instructions he's giving them, right? He said, you shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone for the judgment is God's. And if the case that is too hard for you, you shall bring to me and I will hear it. He appointed leaders, people with different capacities, different giftings, different skill sets, over a thousand, over a hundred, over fifty, over tens, and different commissioners. Now, my thinking used to be, okay, great, there's Moses. Now he set up for himself leaders like this leader here, you've you've got a thousand people you're leading here, you're doing a hundred people, you're doing ten. I, I don't think it worked that way. I'm going to say a word that maybe is, is not as popular either. There were some sort of team structures, some sort of hierarchy, some sort of like team structures that they put together to be able to facilitate what God was doing. Now, I don't like the word hierarchy, especially in a church setting. But here's why. It's not because having structures and teams is a bad thing. It's because we've become hierarchical thinking. You see the difference? In a hierarchical thinking, we start equating someone's value with their position. Right? And, well, you know, TK said that, so, you know, so therefore we've got to do it. And Huntington, our CEO's name was, uh, Huntington, our CEO's name was Steve Steinauer. Right? He, this guy is a force to be reckoned with. In, in the marketplaces, on the news all the time. So I would, I would um, interact with him quite a lot. And then people would come and ask me to, hey, Steve said I can do so-and-so. So what are they doing? They're invoking the big dog's name to be able to manipulate their way into what I said. 
Thankfully, God was my boss, so I said, no, uh, you're not going to do that. Um, but, but that's hierarchical thinking. So that's, we've, we've got to absolutely fight against hierarchical thinking to say, you know, if you have a, a, someone who's in kids' ministry and, you know, you're, you're a team leader over that Sunday, and, you know, there's someone overseeing all of kids' ministry, and obviously the elders oversee the person overseeing kids' ministry, there's a bit of a hierarchy in place. But I know your guys' hearts. I know the eldership here's heart. That person leading or serving kids on the Sunday, there's not that, oh, Terry is going to come by, so I've got to be very, very extra good at what I'm doing. That is an unhealthy hierarchical yeah, thinking, absolutely. right? We are wanting to shepherd and steward God, what God has given yeah. us to the best of our ability. But by putting some sort of structure and, and teams in place, we're all able to function well at the areas that God has called us to be so that the eldership team can focus on preaching the word. So that people who are deacons, I th- think you have deacons here, right? People overseeing your, your guest services or your coffee or whatever you call it. They can do what they do, empowered, doing it well, doing the best of their ability so that everyone can function where God has placed them so that the work of the church can continue. Amen? In the corporate world, they seem to have settled on this um, little thing. That you cannot effectively lead or manage more than six to ten people at a time. Right? So all that, that, and this is truly a hierarchical kind of organizational structure teams that come in and say, if you have 50 people reporting directly to you, you're really not managing very well at all. Right, Because 50 people are unable to come to you with problems, with situations, with discussions and that. The ideal thing is 6 to 10 people. So in my world, I had a couple of hundred people technically reporting to me. But I only had 6 or 7 directly reporting to me so that I could pour into those guys and girls. And, and we have discussions and we, we talk about teams, we talk about expectations. And they each had people that they were overseeing. Now, in my organization, it wasn't this hierarchical thinking. It was like, dude, if you have any questions, no matter where you are on the org chart, come and talk to me. Come and have the discussion. Let's, let's have a coffee together. Let's, literally, you have those conversations in banking as well as you do in the church world, right? And I know that you guys, there's no thinking here. I, I say this with all integrity of hierarchical thinking in this church. So I absolutely know that. But there is a value biblically here of appointing leaders over a thousand or a hundred or fifty or ten because it will help everybody to be able to do what they do really, really well. All right. And then notice verse 16 and 17 um, when he starts handing out very clear instructions. And this is the piece that I've missed before in leadership, especially in the church. I'm like, hey, could you oversee, uh, you know, guest services? We, uh, for us, guest services is everything. Is hospitality? Well, they do greeting here as well. For us, guest services is everything from front door to coffee to you know meeting new visitors and all of that kind of stuff. That's like hosting guests, you know, new guests coming in. Where I've made the mistake before is saying, hey, you know, Kathy, you're over guest services. And then I walk away. And we go on. And then week in and week out, like the things that I had in my mind, I'm like, man, I wish we could really meet the visitors. I wish the place wouldn't be so dirty. I wish this, I wish that. And you would see it, and I'd be frustrated. But this is not Kathy, right? But I'm just using an example. Kathy's leading that team. She has no idea what our actual expectations were. So I'm frustrated. 
But I never spoke to her about it. I never gave her, I never trained her properly in the expectation and vision of what we want to accomplish in our church. Do you see what I mean? So the Jethro principle, uh, we all know how to say Jethro. I don't. Jethro now. Um, it's not just train people. It's you train them and you give them vision and you give them heart. If you want people who you're leading over to not get dis, uh, discouraged, then give them clear expectations, clear touch points of being able to have conversations and sit down and really discuss what's going on. Okay, let me go another Bible verse. Luke chapter 9, verse 12. Uh, You all should know the story, I believe, of the five loaves and the two fish and Jesus feeding the 5,000. But when we say the 5,000, we're really meaning 15 to 20,000 because they only counted the men, right? So... 5,000 men, you know there were women there. You know there were children there. There was a lot of hungry people after sitting and listening to Jesus preach all day long, right? So Luke 9 verse 12. Now the day began to wear away, and the 12 came to him and said, again the 12, um, send the crowd away to go to the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. Notice how many numbers are being thrown out here, right? Um, Unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to the disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so. And they had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. He broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. They all ate and were satisfied. They all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. So we have a lot of numbers. We have Jesus, number one. We have 12 disciples. We have five loaves, two fish. Was the other way around? Two fish, five. Whatever. You got it. The five and the two. We have 5,000 men. We have sitting groups of 50. And then we have 12 baskets left over. A lot of numbers. Friends, I, the thing that just grabs me in this, other than the, the creative miracle, I mean, I don't know how to even begin with the creative miracle, right? Yeah. yeah. Jesus. All Jesus, right? What just grabs me with this, all ate and were satisfied. Yeah. Yeah. All ate and were satisfied. And I think of the people that God sends to our churches, people who have walked away from God and are giving Him one more try. People who have broken marriages and they don't know where to go. So they go to the Google and they find a church and they see, you know, a man with that beard. And they're like, well, surely he should be nice. And, and they, they walk in and they give, it, they give it one more try. And all ate and were satisfied. That is my heart. When, whenever I talk about things like this with structure, it isn't so that we can be all nice and pretty and organized. It's so that anyone who comes in can find a home. Anyone who comes in can find a people, can find a community, can find a place to belong so we can care for them and steward them so all could eat and be satisfied. So we don't just have an incredible creative miracle here. We have the potential for an administrative nightmare. Just think it through. 15 to 20,000 people, they're, they're hungry already. Now, just take fifteen to 20,000 people to the food court to get fast food, and it's going to take you a couple hours, right? Yeah. Ball, ball arena? Is that where the Nuggets play? 
20,000 people. Just picture 20,000 people go get food. And you've already got people who've prepared catering, who've got payment systems, and they've got fast food and everything. Even with that 20,000 people, it would be a nightmare to administrate. But Jesus gives them some instructions. Sit them in groups of 50. He gives and introduces some administration so that the people could be cared for, so that they can all be fed, because that is the heart of Jesus for people. I've got to say this again. Administration is a gift of God. Administration is a gift of God. It is not the powerful Benny Hinn standing on a stage and, you know, blah, 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 and then there all the healing goes. Love that, and I want that. I want people to get healed. But when people come in and there is no administration, people get frustrated, they get tired, they're exhausted, and they walk away. And God wants us to administrate what He is doing. One more verse. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. King James Version translates that word administrating as governing. The ESV, NIV, talks about it as administrating. Administration is a gift of God. And if you're sitting here and you're like, well, I haven't had my time in the sun because, you know, we only elevate the really supernatural gifts. Administration for many people is a supernatural gift that this church needs. My church needs. Every local church needs. There is an administration for what God wants to do. Now, I talked a little bit about church size numbers. The people who look at church sizes and church structures and all that kind of all seem to agree that something happens when a church gets to 200, right? They, they call it the, I don't know what they call it, but at 200, there's something that has to change in how a church is led or administrated. For some strange reason, here in first world, I'm talking about first world country, right? At 200, the complexities get to a point where more administration is needed, more more, more leaders are needed. More staff is needed. Something at 200 changes. I'm not making a value statement here on is a church smaller than 200 better or worse than a church bigger than 200. Good. I don't think it's a question to ask. Good. Right? It, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Right? If God has called this church to grow and he keeps adding people to this place, then we have a responsibility to steward what God wants to do in this place. Right? It's not just, well, I want to have a church of a thousand people, so that's what I want, so now I'm going to orchestrate everything that way. Because a thousand is better than a hundred. Not true. Right? You can get people living their best life in a church of 50 and 70. I think the average church in America is 70, 60 to 70 people um, across 400,000 churches in America. Average size is 60 to 70, which means there are a lot that are smaller than 60. And as we know, there's a lot that are, that are bigger than that. So this is not a value statement in size, but this is trying to say, if God has called this church to reach more people, there's an administration that's needed for this time and this place. Yeah. A couple more pictures, I thought, just in terms of trying to illustrate this, right? Some of you are, are picture people. Think of a large sailboat or a large ship. Think Pirates of the Caribbean, because it's always playing in my house. Uh, think, you know, old school ship, and there's the sails, and there's guys rowing the oars. Think, this is the picture I had in mind, right? And I, and I see a big wind coming onto the ship. And when the big wind comes and the gust comes and you want to start moving, there's something that has to happen 
inside the boat to be able to capture the wind and make the most, take the most advantage of that. Any sailormen in here? You know anything about boating? Okay. All right. Andrew is the guy, so I'm going to look for you for approval from here on out. Yet another thing. Man. Not just the ukulele. There, there are a number of people in a boat, in a boat like that, in a situation like that, that have to work together under the guidance of some sort of leadership to be able to take best advantage of the wind that God is bringing. I'm saying God, that the wind is coming onto the boat. You have to have the right people to know when to let the sails down. You have to have the right amount of people sitting by the oars. And they have to actually oar in the same direction. They have to actually oar to the same beat, to the same rhythm. There's a lot of administration that happens all around us. We just don't call it administration. But for us to be able to capture what God is doing in this church and wants to do in the church, it's going to take especially this group of leaders, deacons, life group, uh, connect group leaders, to start oaring in the same direction at the same time, organize in rhythm so that when that wind comes, man, you'll go so much further together with the Holy Spirit than we could on our own with our own ideas and without being organized. Amen? Here's another picture. Think of a large orchestra. You know, you can get a nice little orchestra with three people, minimal level of administration needed. You get an orchestra with 100, 200 people, your level of orchestration, organization needed to get that thing to work together needs to be finely tuned in order to get that beautiful sound of a hundred instruments playing together. Right? It needs a tempo. It needs one tempo. Not multiple tempos. One tempo and a tempo keeper. Right? It needs a key. You need to pick which key you're all going to play in as an orchestra. Right? You start playing different keys. It's called a mess. It's called a, a, a horrible sound. We were at a, at a, at a, um, a little event the other day and, uh, at the high school. And uh, there were a couple of instrumentalists who decided to pick a different key. There is a melody that has to be played. There is a melody that is pre-orchestrated. There is a chorus. And if there's any musicians in the room, there's the all too familiar and important bridge can I have a witness? Whoa, when that bridge kicks in. Friends, there are systems needed for a band to play and make a beautiful sound. And all too often in the church, we think that systems are carnal and the spirit and freedom is holy. But it doesn't have to be like that. These things can work together to accomplish what God wants to do in this time. God uses systems in nature. God uses systems in your body. Your body is full of systems. The bones, the nerves, the um, everything, you know. I know a lot about finances, very little about biology. Here's another one. God gives a river, river banks. River banks. God gives a river banks. It gives us structure. It gives us organization. Otherwise, what do you have? A swamp. Yeah? God gives wineskins for new wine. 
God gives wineskins for new wine. And I believe there is a wineskin suitable for this season, for this location, that will fit perfectly with who God has put here together. Because we know that Jesus is building his church. Jesus is building his church. And your church is going to look different to our church because of every unique brick that God has added to build a unique building for his glory in this place. Amen. How you're going to administrate the church here in First World Denver, Colorado is going to very, look very different to the needs and the expectations in Haiti and in Kenya. I was just in Haiti a few weeks ago and, you know, wow, what a different experience. It's been a while since I've been in a third world situation preaching in there. So, yeah, it's going to look different. But the fact remains, the minute you get to a certain size... The bigger you get, the more administration, more organization you need to be able to help everybody roar, row or in the same direction. Amen?